0: We're grateful. We're grateful to you. We're grateful um, for this time, for this place. We are grateful. And uh, you, the knowledge of you and being in your kingdom amazingly transports us from the immediate that we live in and, and struggle through into the eternal and the things that matter. And uh, I pray you would work that to some degree here now for the next 40 minutes or so. Um, Open our minds to hear, to understand, open our hearts to respond and be transformed, and then use us for your glory, for your kingdom. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I thought it was Uh, interesting Tom finishing up talking about prayer requests and that whole kind of public private kind of things a lot of times we have expectations I recently have had different expectations in regard to exactly what he was talking about than other uh, at least one other person in the body and they thought a certain way about certain things especially medical prayer requests than I tend to or especially as my wife would tend to um so whenever you kind of run into something like that with a member of the body and you're like, not that that's kind of weird. Bear with one another in brotherly love or sisterly family love. Um, yeah, it's really important because we can get locked into our own way of doing things and thinking and expectations and it can cause division. Um, so that's, that's that. Uh, okay, so uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter. 6, that's page 1,277 in my Bible, and I'm pretty sure this is the only one of these in this room. Um, uh, but Matthew, first book of the New Testament, we're going to be in 6, that's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at prayer again today. Um, but in relation to the public and private thing, that's um, on your outline, that's where I'm starting off. Uh, this whole section is about what's public, what's uh, viewable, what's accessible in the, in the context of other people, and what's not, what's private. And uh, these three examples our Lord gives having to do with giving, prayer, and fasting. Um, I've said before, those three things, first of all, he's assuming His people do those things. And I confessed a while back, the last one's not really my forte. Um, It's just not, you know, I try to do it. I do do it. But anyway, uh, keep that in mind as we look through these things. He's assuming, he doesn't say if you pray or if you give or if you fast. He's saying when you do these things. And uh, that fits in the bigger context. But so that kind of dilemma, what's public, what's private? Um, I just looked in the news a couple days ago. Um, Disclaimer, I think it was all NPR. So, you know, um, I know we all tend to have our news source we go to. Um, I'm assuming NPR is kind of on one end of the scale and OAN would be pretty much on the other end of the scale and... We tend to pick where we're going to get news on that scale. I would invite you once in a while, go someplace totally different, just for the matter of perspective. I'm not saying you got to buy the line, whichever the line is, but it's good perspective. Um, okay, so these are some kind of things that I thought in the news that relate to that, that whole public-private thing. Uh, the CDC, which right there probably just offended somebody, The CDC says to throw away your onions if you don't know the source, because if they were grown in Chihuahua, Mexico, they may have salmonella contamination. Well, when I was at Fred Meyer the other day, there wasn't a sign that said these onions are from Chihuahua, so throw them away when you get home. That would be good public information if they were, or the opposite, but that was in the news. Um, also, a popular Spanish female author named Carmen Mola is actually the compilation of the work of three Spanish male authors. So, you probably don't know who Carmen Mola is. I don't either. But if you pictured, if, it, if the news broke tomorrow that Nicholas Sparks was really the work of three female authors, and ne- there is not a Nicholas Sparks, that, this would be the equivalent of that. And it never said on her, on her, their books, who the author really was. Uh, Sprinklegate? Does that make sense to anybody? Good. <laughs> Apparently there's a whole uh, Sprinklegate thing going on in the United Kingdom. That sprinkles, you know, the sprinkles they put on donuts and stuff? They Yeah, they got some bad thing going on with sprinkles. And I guess you think we have trouble here in the UK. I guess they have authorized sprinkles. In a very popular baking outlet that makes this wonderful cake or whatever their famous product is, they now have to stop making it because they were using unauthorized sprinkles and, and the head of the firm said the other sprinkles just don't measure up. So, we're just not going to sell that. So, if you go to, you know, Carr's Bakery, you want the sprinkled donut, remember. They may not be authorized sprinkles. And they're not going to tell you that's not public or private information, right? You just go there, you buy your donut. Uh, A nurse in Texas has been killing patients. Where's Brian? Where is Brian? Um, And I'm assuming this nurse didn't say when, you know, you came into that hospital, I'm the one who kills people. So, you know, if I'm caring for you today, your likelihood of survival is reduced, right? That's not public information. The headline is public. Um, Blood pressure medication. There's a blood pressure medication now that there's, like all other pills, there's a lawsuit that it can cause cancer. That probably gets your attention if you have, or gets your attention if you have hypertension. I take a blood pressure pill. It ain't the one that causes cancer, so I'm kind of done with that. That's on you if you want to research farther. Um, And the the two last ones are my favorites. The city of San Francisco. Right? I just offended everybody. The city of San Francisco closes In-N-Out Burgers for not checking their customers' vaccination status. I used to live in the North Bay and work in the city of San Francisco and stuff, so... You know, that rings home a little more to me. But In-N-Out, I think, is more famous for the drive through part, In-N-Out, than they are actually coming in and sitting down. So if you do the drive through at McDonald's, can you imagine? Uh, may I have your order, please? And are you currently vaccinated? I mean, that's the city of San Francisco has closed down the In-N-Out Burger for that. And the last one, my favorite, there was a very old pug. Pug, dog, in the news. Did you read about that? Oh little pug, old one, who can predict the day you're going to have. Now, I don't believe that really any more than you do, but um, the day I'm going to have before I have it, I'm assuming is not really public information. So, you know, there, that's what we're dealing with, and in the context of today, that's a big part of our struggle, really, is that, that struggle between what is public what is private. I'm spending time on this because that's Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus draws a hard line be- it, with worship things between what is public and what is private. So um, uh, we have issues well public things that would be important in today's world. Think what is public information? Um, these are just things that came to my mind. My car current. License and registration is public, right? has to be on my car. Uh, government spending, how officials vote or even if they attend for voting. It's public information, yes? Um, we have offenders registries, court view, things that have to do with uh, people who have broken or charged with breaking the law can be public information. Professional qualifications, Right? If you go to a doctor, there, somewhere there's going to be something that says that, that uh, physician's medical qualifications, MD or DDS for a, doc or a dentist, even auto mechanics frequently, right? They'll have public display of their qualifications. And two things which have gone, have gone kind of wild in my lifetime are gender and sexual preferences. Gender used to be the most public thing. People dressed and appeared very specifically to indicate gender. We live in a changing environment and God wants his people to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So we need to be aware of the context that God has us in so we can reach this context. So instead of thinking, well, the whole gender thing, that's just bizarre and it's all messed up. It may be bizarre, it may be messed up, it may not make sense, but you need to understand this is the context in which we are to be both his witness and his visible church. So, you know, I want to encourage you in that. The whole idea of gender has been moving from public to private. I mean, when I was a kid, nobody would be offended. You would know if someone was male or female, Two simple categories at that time. And you would someone would not have been offended if you kind of asked them that. Now sometimes you can't even ask that in terms of uh, hiring practices for employment and things like that. So I'm just bringing this up that this is part of our context that we live in that God has us here in. And he doesn't have us here to recoil from all of it and isolate ourselves. He has us here to reach it. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's why we're here. So, you know, people, there are people we know people, there may be people here or visiting our church at times where gender is not, to them, that's not public information. They may choose to keep that personal or private. And sexual preferences were always private. Regardless of how you what your preference was, and from the Bible, it's very clear what God's way is, but now it's become totally public, almost to the point of, um, yeah, it's just totally public. Uh, so now the the private section, again, gender then, has moved kind of into that private category, at least for some people in our society. Um, other things that are private information, financial information, right? I don't want you to know my bank account and uh, my you know passwords or my pin numbers or whatever that's private information health information like the HIPAA regulations is about protecting health information why do we have so much controversy and contention about COVID and all of this right there because some in society say this needs to be public right apparently the The city of San Francisco thinks it needs to be public information if you've been vaccinated or not. And others say, no, that's private information. You know, the public has no reason to know that. Internet browsing and related information. Facebook, I guess. I'm not a Facebook person, but I think they went through a whole thing a year or two ago about collecting your information. Right. And they do that on the Internet now. They collect your information and those who collect it previously thought, well, it's on the internet, it's public information. And then there was the other group who says, no, that's private. Um, Okay, and then you can come up with a whole bunch of other things, but I'm just trying to set the stage of what's public, for others to see and know, and what is private, and why, why these two things are different. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, in this uh, whole context here, um, I encourage you in, in your notes to consider the bigger picture. Um, Most of us are familiar with the idea of taking a Bible verse out of context, right? And we kind of know if you've been in the church, if you've been around uh, the Bible stuff, you realize that can be a problem if you take it out of context. Um, The context is there for an important reason. So this whole part of Scripture, I'm going to just briefly try to say this is the bigger picture. Okay, verses 6 5 through 15, where he's talking about prayer. um, Is he trying to give us the mechanics of praying? Meaning the mechanical way, the, the rigid way of praying? Or, I would say, is he stressing heartfelt sincerity? That our prayer needs to be sincere from the heart between me and God. Now, that might seem unimportant to you, but at the very end of that passage, verses 9 through 13, is one of the, probably the most famous prayer and has, has been set in concrete as a very mechanical thing. And that's why I'm bringing this up. Is You've got to think, when you read Scripture and you're in there, you got to think, what is, what's the context? What's the big picture How does this fit with this with the whole book with all of scripture? Okay, and then chapter uh, 6 verses 1 through 18. He talks about those three things. Giving, praying, and fasting. Okay. Is he specifically trying to give his disciples meticulous information on how to give, how to pray, how to fast, or as I think you know from hearing me before or is he really talking about avoiding hypocrisy? The context in all of this was when he says your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He picked the most intense uh, spiritual role models in their community far beyond anything we have in American culture. And he said unless you do it better than them it won't get there. You're not, it's not going to happen. So what is he trying to teach us about giving and praying and fasting? Or is his overarching goal to say, don't be a hypocrite. Be genuine. Be real. Don't put on a show in your religious expression. The great commandment is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength not about parading around and acting a certain way and learning how to talk or how to dress or how to do these religious or Christian things. It's your heart to his. And then chapters 5 through 7, the whole Sermon on the Mount. You know, I'd encourage you to think, is he trying to teach a whole bunch of do's and don'ts? Which, by the way, it's hard to write do's and don'ts. It's hard to type that. The do's part, you can put the apostrophe with the S But what do you do with don't? Because it's already got an apostrophe. And I tried it, you know, D-O-N-apostrophe-T-apostrophe-small-S, and it's like, that don't look right. So, do's and don'ts, is that what he's trying to teach? I would say, no. He's teaching kingdom life. This whole Sermon on the Mount starts off and finishes about the kingdom. I would encourage you one more time. If we look back at whatever... I mean, there's a time to remember and be appreciative. This looking back is a very good thing. But if in life in general, if you're looking back or even if you're looking around you instead of looking forward, you're probably not going where the Lord wants you to go. He has a purpose for this church right now, today, even with all these empty seats. And some would be filled if people weren't wrestling with COVID or medical issues. And some wouldn't. But he has a vital living purpose for every one of us in this room going forward so focus on that we are if if you're born again if you know Christ you are in the kingdom and the king has a purpose for every subject in his kingdom everyone and it's a forward-looking purpose it's not a Well, I'm on the sideline now. Or, you know, boy, I remember the better days gone by when we were in Egypt and the leeks and the garlic and all that fish that was probably carp or something that came out of the Nile. No, he wants us looking forward. He wants us serving him going forward. Okay, so um, the triple vaccination against hypocrisy, as I use that, was uh, giving to the poor, which we've talked about, prayer, which we talked about a little bit. And fasting. And all of these are uh, powerful instructions the Lord gives us to avoid hypocrisy. Now, who's never struggled with any form of hypocrisy? Who's never cared what you look like or sound like or what other people think of you, and it's just you and God, and that's it? Okay, so it's kind of a universal problem. We don't all struggle with it to a, uh, the same degree, but it's a problem we all need to be sensitive to. And he, and it may not be as big of a problem as it was here in this context in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but it's a problem, and God looks on the heart. We look on the outward. God looks at the heart. Okay, last week I mentioned Habakkuk. 2-4, uh, I think it was 2-4 if I got the number right there. Did anybody look that up or read it? Or do you already know it? Come on, courageous volunteer. And the call went out. Who will be the courageous volunteer? Come on, I saw that hand. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Okay, I will paraphrase it. The righteous or the just shall live by faith. Right? And that became the hallmark of the Reformation. It is the basis of some of the most powerful doctrine in the whole scripture. And it's just kind of tucked away. It's not even the whole verse in Habakkuk. The righteous or the just shall live by faith. Was that a Indication? Or, yeah. The righteous, the just shall live by faith. Okay, which brings us to these three words. And uh, I would like you, hopefully, if you haven't already, define those three words right there. Faith. What is faith? How would you describe faith? Um, the The definition I gave before is kind of a generic definition. It's not, you know, biblical faith. It's just faith. What does faith mean? Um, and you need to have a kind of solid grasp on that. If somebody asks you about it, you need to be able to say, uh, my definition was belief, trust, or confidence in someone or something. Right? You get on a plane, you have faith that whoever's up in the front of that plane knows what they're doing, and they're going to take you from point A to point B safely. You have belief, trust, or confidence in the airline, in the flight crew, in the fact that there will be a runway to land on when you come back down. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you're putting your belief, trust, or confidence in. Someone or something. Biblical faith is putting belief, trust, confidence in the God of the Bible. And then uh, I also mentioned um, or put Hebrews 11.1 1 is a classic biblical definition. Right? What faith is. Any courageous volunteer for that one? Pardon? That's part of it. Yeah. Faith is assurance. Yeah. Conviction. It's uh, as a Bible instructor of mine once said, "It's the substance of things not seen. It substantizes the unseen. So your faith in an invisible God gives substance. It it it, it makes it real. It's not like, yeah, I believe in God. Like I believe there is Pluto kind of out there on the." And edge of the solar system, and maybe they're going to find some other little rock whipping around or something. I don't know. No, faith, my faith in the Word as I come to know Him gives substance to my relationship with God. If I don't get that, my relationship with God's going to be kind of more ac- academic in my head instead of a vital thing that's transformed my heart and energizes me to serve Him. Okay, so faith. Uh, Righteousness. Righteous or righteousness. uh, These are my definitions. You can go with something else. But I picked rightness or to be in right relationship. In biblically speaking with God. It's a little more of a a, a theological, biblical word than faith would be. So if the Bible says uh, the righteous shall live by faith. What would that mean then? Okay, so the righteous, the one who's in a right relationship, implied with God, will live by faith. Faith will be the driving engine, the, the axle on which all of the person's life turns because they're in right relationship. Justification, there's different ways you can go with that too. Um, but to me, I, the one I go with is to be declared Righteous. So if I am justified by faith, the biblical principle, we are justified by faith. That means I am declared to be righteous by my faith. Okay, well what does that mean? That means God declares me to be in right relationship with him through my faith. These are so, they may seem very mundane, but these are the foundational blocks of what we believe. Very important. And so it doesn't just seem kind of theoretical. Everybody gets this all messed up. I mean, everybody gets this all messed up. If you feel that you must live better to earn God's approval of you, you got it messed up. If you realize Christ died for you, and he, God has adopted you into his family, and you're a child of God, and you want to live for him, you got it right. That's how it's supposed to be. People always think, think works or living right then will bring you to God. No, never. Never has, never will. You come to God in faith, and you accept all that he gives you by faith. And you are transformed. The knowledge goes in your head. It goes to your heart. You're transformed. And then it activates your body. How you live for him. That's what it means to be born again. It's like I understand the gospel. Then it comes into my heart. And I'm transformed. And now I want to live for him. That's biblical faith. Righteousness. Justification. So you mess up. Is it like the little kids board game shoots and ladders you go way back down start over no right no if you are born again you don't get unborn again and then you got to get born again again and then you get unborn again again and then you got to get born again 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 I mean there's people who actually believe that I was born once physically speaking I never got born physically speaking again ever right my mom might have gotten mad at me, but she never said, you're going back to square one, we're starting this whole thing over. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's equally ridiculous in things of the Spirit. When Tom was sharing that we have the Spirit, if you are born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are like one rock or stone in the greater temple, which will be revealed at some time. You don't get like taken out and put back in and taken out and put back in just because you were a naughty boy or girl. Now, let me clarify. You can think you're born again and not be. Jesus teaches at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, Depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, I did all this stuff. Depart from me, I never knew you. So you can be deceiving yourself And thinking you're born again. And that's a a real concern. That's why weekly we're supposed to examine our hearts. And if my walk with God is a sham, uh, I got work to do. It's got to be fixed. I really need, I know a guy right now who was preaching and teaching and doing all kinds of stuff. Been in trouble with the law off and on. And recently, he got born again. And before that, it was all a big sham. He goes, you know, I even thought I I was a Christian. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian now. I've been born again. And this happened to him in jail. Um, And he's thankful, and so am I, that he ended up in jail, that God would work that to God's glory. But, yeah, so belief... Faith, righteousness, justification. If you are justified, you don't get unjustified by your failure. You're justified. Jesus took my failure. Okay, transformation is a three-step process. And uh, I talked about this before. Uh, The head, heart, hands. I've kind of been talking about it now. Or what I know, what I am, or be, and what I do. That's those three things. Head, heart, hands, or know, be, do, or sometimes people go with thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Though that gets, The feelings part kind of gets a little off for me. But, um, and this is it's exactly how God works. The gospel can be preached, and everybody in the room hear the same content. But it doesn't get in here unless the Spirit of God, like Jesus, would give hearing to those who were deaf. Unless the Spirit of God enlightens you somehow. And then you're like, okay, I think I understand what that means. And then you embrace it by faith, and it goes right here. And you're born again. Can you know the truth of the gospel without being born again? Yeah, right? James, I believe it's James who said, the demons believe. They ain't born again. (laughs) Yeah, so, so people can know it up here and not be transformed in here. This is where you get born again. Inside, you're a new creation, a new creature. There are people that teach the word and teach the gospel and are not born again. Yeah, that's just knowledge. And then the most important thing after that is the hands, the foot, the feet, the action. That's what I was saying a minute ago. God has a purpose for everybody in his kingdom right now, going forward. Regardless of what goes on in this world around us, he has a purpose. If you're here, if you're born again, and you're breathing, he has a purpose for you. When he doesn't, you're probably going to stop breathing. Right? Or he will come and get us all. Which, come quickly, Lord. (laughs) Okay, so... Okay, so prayer viewed in three parts. Matthew 6, 5 through 14, that's the section on prayer. Um, All through here, Jesus uses the word reward. And um, my first thought, well, isn't this kind of mercenary? You know, Jesus says, well, I'll just read in the first verse there, 6-1, Beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of acting like I'm in right relationship with God. Um, before other people in order to be seen by them, that's the catch if I'm doing it to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven okay, some people feel like, man, you're doing this for a reward why, why are you a Christian think about that why why are you here why, if you read your Bible, why do you read your Bible? To give glory to God. To learn how to walk with God. I'm going to fess up. I'm doing it for a reward. <laughs> I'm doing it for a reward because it matters. I believe what he has said. And I believe Christ died for my sins. He paid His blood paid my sins. And I will be welcomed into heaven. That's my reward. I believe it. I'm doing this for a reward. Not the, you know, pocket full of money reward. But I walk with God because I believe what he has said. And Jesus through here talks about reward, 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 reward. The Apostle Paul said, if if this is it in this life, we're messed up. Man, we're the most pitiful people there are. If there's not something that comes after this that's better than anything this world has to offer, right? Is it? Yes. (laughs) If if everything this world has to offer is the best there is, what are we wasting time here for? Right? I mean, think about it. I know that Christians don't really talk this way, but just think about it. If what life has for you in the next 20 or 80 years is the best, I'd be the first one to say, go for it. We're stupid to be in here. Go get it all. But it's not. Faith gives substance. We believe. No, this is not it. In fact, this is broken. I'm looking for a better place. I'm traveling through. This ain't my home. I'm looking for a reward when there's going to be a door open and Jesus is going to say, come on, Greg. We're going to live it up from here on out, (laughs) right? There'll be a feast. There's going to be a party. I mean, it's going to be nothing but good. That's the reward. That's what I I believe. And, you know, I think we kind of feel like, ooh, reward. That's kind of, mm, man, that sounds weird. I'm just telling you what he said here. There'll be no reward. If I'm only doing this to impress you, I got no reward. Now, in these verses, in, in the verse uh, in, in giving to the needy, so that would be verse 2, he says, I tell you, so if, if you're giving and you make a big deal of your giving and it's like, woohoo, I have no reward. No reward. But if I give in secret, and the Father who sees in secret, then there will be a reward. So with the giving, there's reward and reward. Two different words. Okay, then in the section on prayer, which we're talking about right now, in verse 5, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Who? The people who make a big show of their prayer. Out in the street corners, you know, attracting attention. They have received their reward right then and there in the moment, whatever that would be. And then he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, he kind of is in secret, kind of isn't. But what he means there is you go into an inner room, a place that's just you and God, it's just you and God. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Two different words. And then later on, down in verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Then and there. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In each of those three, there are two different words for reward. And um, I'm just absolutely going to butcher it. And Spencer probably going to take me to the woodshed for even trying to do what I'm going to do here. But the first word um, I would try to pronounce as misthos, It's uh, Strong's number 3408. And at least in this context, it has to do with your reward right now. That's it. That's your reward. It's like if you go out to lunch and you pay 20 bucks for your meal. That's your reward when you eat the food. And Then it's, that's it. It's all gone. Um, but if you decide to save that $20 and put it in an investment and it becomes $40, but you would get that later, that would be a reward that comes later. That is basically the word here, the second word, apodidomai. And the number on that is 0591. I realize how absolutely fascinating this part is. The point I want to make is Jesus, okay, first of all, he's probably speaking Aramaic. Then Matthew wrote this down in Greek. And he intentionally, by the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, intentionally used two different words. If you're doing it wrong in public to be seen by others, you have a reward. If you do it in secret where it's just you and God, you have a reward. If you do it in public, you have a reward. If you do it in secret, you have a reward. My point in, in this is, for whatever reason, it's different. In each of these cases where it's in public, it's like, that's it, man. That, you're done. You know, it, you could have made a big show, gone to the big fundraiser, and wrote out a check and said, I'm giving $10 to this cause because it's a worthy cause. That's your reward. You just got it. That's it. But if you give in secret and you're like, God, I want you to bless this and use this to empower this ministry, there will be a reward that comes and not we're not talking dollars I'm not talking finances am I clear on that? yeah there are heavenly rewards God will reward or repay or uh, compensate now these two words all through the scripture they're pretty close they're actually confusing to me and you know I don't know Greek so it's not surprising um, But Jesus, and then Matthew, in the inspiration of the Spirit, used two different words to make the point. Okay. Um, So, your reward for living out your acts of righteousness can be right now, here and now. Or it can be deferred. And you can live for God. And you will be rewarded later. That's the whole essence of our faith, right? Right? Isn't it? That we're deferring, we're avoiding, we're choosing not to, we're, we're keeping these kingdom priorities at the forefront. We're not pursuing all this other stuff. Now, I know we all do pursue other stuff to varying degrees. But the kingdom has to be the priority. Because then we are truly saying the kingdom is what matters. Serving the king is what matters. And the world can offer me anything and everything. I'm serving the King. That's what matters. If you pursue all this stuff, your reward's gonna be like here and now. You know, if I decide I'm gonna go climb some mountain someplace, I'm not against mountain climbing, okay? But for me, if I decide, you know, that's gonna be my life goal. I'm gonna be the first 60-whatever-year-old I am to climb this mountain. Well, cool. But whatever reward I would get from that, that'd be it. If I say, you know what? I'm going to make it my goal to share the gospel with at least one person a week in the next year. And that's a God-given, God-empowered goal. That will have eternal effects. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. So... You know, we all have to decide what's going to be the priority of my use of my finances, the use of my time, the use of my energy and ability. I mean, there's stuff I wish I could do right now and I can't because I'm too old and busted up and and so is my wife. I mean, I hear of stories of people who can go places and do things and I'm like, oh man, that would be the most awesome ministry. But I can't do it. I kind of spent my bankroll, for the most part, somewhere else doing what God led me to do okay so the corruption of prayer number one the corruption of prayer is verse five okay true correct prayer is corrupted the place what's the place you can just guess that public Public. yeah it's in public now don't miss this Jesus is not saying we can't pray in public Right? He's saying we can't do all these acts of righteousness in public to be seen and admired by others. That's what he's saying. In that first case, the prayer was corrupted because they're doing it to be seen by others. I mean, what is prayer? If you had to describe it in one word, what would it be? Prayer. Talking. Conversation. Right? Communication. Any other words? Yeah, it's between a person and God. Now, if you pray to a, a false God, an idol, that's pretty much going to be one way. Just saying. Unless there's some other kind of spiritual thing going on there and it could seem two-way. That does happen, by the way. That's even worse. Or you can pray to the living God who hears us and he may answer you in this way or that way or another way, or you may just have to keep praying and waiting. I mean, sometimes it works that way. The corruption of prayer, the place is in public, the purpose to be seen by others. That's what corrupted that. Prayer is the, is, there's nothing else like it that you can do absolutely anywhere. If your brain is functioning, you can pray. You can be in, uh, you can be. Well, I hate to use myself, but I will on this one. I used to fly a lot because we lived in a village. And I used to get sick. And I mean, I used to get really airsick. There was never a time I could not pray. And I I don't mean airsick like you're probably thinking, oh, yeah. mm, You know, that, and it's all good. No, 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 way sicker than that. I could always pray. You can be suffering. You can be riding the wave of life, and everything is awesome. You can pray. And thank God for his, you know, sunshine and rainbows. You you can do it in a group. You can do it by yourself. There's never, if your brain is functioning, I mean, unless you're like checked out in a coma or something, you can always pray. It is the most, if you think about it, there's nothing you need to do it, right? I mean, we need Christ, who's our advocate with the Father. That's a given, I'm assuming. But there's nothing, you don't, you don't need a phone card or a cell phone or access or, you know. The Spirit gives us words and sometimes it, 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 we don't even have the word. Sometimes you'll be in such an intense situation. It's like, I don't even know how to pray about this, right? I've been there. I don't know if you've been there. And it's like, God, do something. I mean, this is horrible. Do something. Okay, so Jesus gives us, number two, the correction of prayer. Verse six, the place in secret, the purpose. I put true prayer heart to God. That's the purpose. Now again, I just want to say, you don't have to always pray in secret. He's not, this is not a mechanical thing he's trying to give us. He's trying to help us understand the, the natural inclination for hypocrisy. And this will fix it. If you tend to want the good opinion of others, which I think we kind of all do, but you kind of want to be the life of the party or you want to be noticed, I encourage you, pick times where you can do things invisibly that will be good for your soul. Does that make sense? Yeah. doesn't mean you always have to do it that way. And if... you're like me and others who are uncomfortable getting in front of a large group of people, then I would encourage you to do it quite publicly and visibly. Can I get an amen, bro? Yeah, yeah, and, and there's, well, that's him, but there's others in our group, in our fellowship here who I'd be looking at if they were here who that's their stumbling blocks like no 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 man i can't get up and do that i'm like i can do it you can do it you know it's not like i got this big slice of the holy spirit and you just got you know a little teaspoon right we do what we do we're all different right tom's just back there like yeah brother <laughs> was he leading singing can i get an amen <laughs> yeah I was thinking when you were doing that I'm like no that's why I draw the line I cannot there are things about singing I don't know I can't do mm. thank you Tom thank you Tom for doing it not to mention Nikki Where she is. okay so, so that's that and then uh, next week I'm going to talk about the content of prayer which is what we know as the Lord's prayer kind of more appropriate as the disciples prayer um, and it's ironic, no disrespect to churches or denominations or whatever, but it's ironic that those lines have been so mechanized for prayer right after he, as we'll see next week, he talks about don't pile up empty phrases and repetition and stuff. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. But we'll get to that next week. Okay, two things to think about, and you know me by now, it's probably more than two. But Who are you living for, moment by moment, 24-7? Who is it that you're living for? How, how do you make your decisions? How do you uh, determine what you're going to do, where you're going to be, what you're going to say? Who is it? And I put down a list here of self, spouse, parents, friends, church, God. This is not the Sunday school class where it's like, it's all God, 100%. Right? We're going to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'm not thinking about God 100% of my time. Just saying. Um, There are other things you could add to that list. Children. Right? A mom with a lot of small kids, she's probably living for that right there a whole lot of the time. (laughs) My wife, we raised three that were within five years of each other, and whew, that was a beehive, so I can imagine what my daughter is doing with six, but whatever. Um, Or work, you know, work. Now, let's just say, okay, let's let's pick work. Let's say, okay, I live for work eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. If that's you, you know, you could figure out, okay, what percentage, my idea was all these, all these things would add up to 100% of your time. Um, whatever percentage work would be full-time work, You, you're subject to your boss. That's biblical, right? If I have a job serving pizza at Moose's Tooth, that's what they pay me for. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I shouldn't be hanging out with the customers and you know giving them tracks and talking to them about Jesus. I'm being paid to deliver pizza to their table. So, does that separate it from everything? Well, not necessarily. If I understand God has purpose for me and part of his purpose right now is to be a server at Moose's Tooth and to be a witness to my... Uh, co-workers and to be a blessing to people because they come in there and they're hungry and they're grumpy and stuff and I just want to pray for them silently and lift them up then that changes my work does that make sense yeah and some of us our work is exactly our ministry and some of us there's some overlap and some you may have trouble seeing you know gosh I hate my job and you know God can't use me there I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but you've got to sort that out. So anyway, um, you don't have to answer all this now, but I encourage you, think about it. What, Who are you living for moment by moment? The, the word that teaches us to keep in step with the Spirit means we should be doing everything we're doing with a cognitive awareness of the Spirit of God in us. And then who... Who are you in secret? I know we all have things we want to stay secret, whether they're present things or past things, we all do. I mean, Jesus was the only one who never messed up, right? So we all have things that we don't really want everybody to know. I would encourage you, if you're struggling with some of those things now, to struggle and work your way through that but um, think on that who are you in secret and how much of your spiritual life goes unseen by others how much of what you do Bible reading prayer praying for others praying communion with God how much of of what makes you a Christian or is the evidence of you being a Christian is unseen for some of us it could be none and if that's you, I would encourage you discipline yourself to pick something, sometime, some place, where it's just you and Him. Right? Because that's, that's going to be where it's at. Some people have trouble just praying. If it's like if it's just them and God, it's like I don't really know. He's listening. Okay, well read the Word. Grow in your faith. He's listening. And then learn to pray biblically, meaning your content, your desires. We, we need to go from being a young child who's like, Daddy, can I have that candy bar? To how can I help with something? Right? I mean, that's kind of a difference as you grow older. Um, And we should grow older spiritually. So, all right, I will leave you with that. And the encouragement to read through Sermon on the Mount, read through Matthew 6, certainly read through this section here. And uh, unless the unforeseen happens, I'll be here in about whatever a week is in hours but six days and 23 hours or something. Lord thank you you are good your word is good I find encouragement in it Lord I, I just I'm grateful I'm grateful that Jesus is real and he's tangible and I can relate to him as I learn about him in the word I pray, God, that you do a great work in our lives and our hearts today, um, in this in the hours ahead in this day and in the week ahead, that we would grow in our relationship with you, and that you would uh, just shine your light on the things that we need to deal with in each of our lives. I ask you, Lord, be glorified individually in each heart and in us corporately as a group. Thank you for the food and this time. We ask your blessing on that, also in Christ's name. Amen.